This is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. When it comes to telemedicine expansion, who will be the biggest winners? I'm Rudd Blumentritt from Horn Healthcare, and today on Buy-In, our guest is healthcare attorney Nadia De La Husi, a partner with Jones Walker LLP in Lafayette, Louisiana. As leader of the firm's telemedicine team, Nadia works extensively with hospitals, health systems, providers, and startups to structure and integrate telemedicine, telehealth, and digital health platforms. Her passion for telemedicine began over 20 years ago as co-founder of one of Louisiana's first teleradiology networks, which later grew into the nation's largest. Nadia is an active member of the American Telemedicine Association, and a sought-after speaker and thought leader on legal issues in telemedicine. We're excited to have Nadia here today to engage in a lively dialogue about possible bumps in the road to telehealth expansion post-COVID. Nadia, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the invitation. There's just so much going on right now um, around this topic. It seems like Telemedicine's just been on the cusp of of exploding for many years, but it's also faced, you know, a lot of barriers, um, and it just seemed to just never really get past some of those things. And it's all of a sudden the dam broke with um, with the pandemic, and out of necessity, it's really come to the forefront. Um, and you know, we've got the waivers in place, and in a lot of ways, you know, both physicians and patients have embraced telehealth. Um, and it seems that, uh, you know, once, once people experience it for the first time, they love it. There seems to be a lot of momentum behind making telehealth uh, expansion permanent post-COVID. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, telehealth expansion seems like a no-brainer, right? Of course, it reduces the risk of getting COVID and other transmittable infections. Um, and it also expands access to underserved areas. And, and by doing so, at least theoretically, could improve outcomes. Uh, and of course, we're in the midst of, of an election year. And the politicians may say, you know, they're for expanding telemedicine if they think it's politically expedient. We also know that they know that there isn't any additional money in the system. Um, and we also know that the insurance lobbyists will weigh in and have their input before anything is ever voted on. And of course, to, to move to, to some type of permanent expansion is going to take congressional action. So I guess my first question for you is, uh, is, is post-pandemic telehealth expansion a given? Or is there the potential for the expansion to be more of a protracted uphill battle than some folks realize or want to admit? Red, your question is uh, certainly an excellent one and one that I think we're all waiting to see really play out. Certainly, as you stated, telemedicine has been one of the most powerful weapons in the fight against COVID. And as you also mentioned, its popularity and acceptance and usage has been more due to the necessity than by choice. Um, it's, it's important to recognize that, as you stated too, that telemedicine has been around for a long time. Um, the American Telemedicine Association was founded in 1993, um, 27 years ago, and has been advocating for telehealth expansion, reimbursement, and reduction in state, in state licensure barriers for many, many years, along with many other advocates. 
um, prior to COVID, we, we really as advocates, telehealth advocates, had a hard time convincing the state medical boards, physicians, you know, the government in general, of its benefit, and the overall usage was less than 20%. Um, since COVID, we've seen an increase up to 50 to 70% within the physician practice space. Uh, most hospitals have integrated telehealth, and certainly a large portion of the population has engaged in some form of telehealth encounter. Um, and I would, I would agree with you that for the most part during the pandemic, the feedback has been very positive. Um, CMS immediately came to the forefront and recognized and embraced telehealth as, as really the only viable option. Um, one of the biggest changes that CMS made in the midst of COVID was to recognize the home as an originating site for treatment and reimbursement. And they have also expanded the um, reimbursement code significantly during this pandemic. You know, whether, whether those codes and, and, the, um, and the relaxed nature, I mean, the regulatory lifts that have been put into place um, have, have been wonderful. But do I think that they'll last post-COVID? I'm doubtful. Um, I do believe that telehealth is here to stay. I don't believe that telemedicine will ever go back to pre-COVID days. But I believe that once the public health emergency is lifted, uh, many of the relaxed regulatory barriers will return to the pre-COVID days, particularly in areas of state licensure and HIPAA compliance. Uh, I do anticipate the permanent changes more at the Medicare level, um, particularly CMS. And I do expect continued reimbursement to increase, but not to the same level that is currently in place. So I, I don't, I, I would not say that it's a given that we will continue progressing at the same rate and speed that we currently are. And perhaps that's for good reason. I mean, because of the rapid growth, we've gained, we've gained a lot of um, useful data and we can use this valuable information to reevaluate, you know, pre-COVID regulatory barriers and try to improve in the areas that, that need improvement. Um, I, I think it's important for people to understand and, and for the community, the people perhaps that aren't necessarily um, long-term advocates of telemedicine to recognize that telemedicine was never intended to replace inpatient care. And it's right. really no different than any other form of medicine. It's just a different manner in which it's being delivered. Right. Um, the same standard of care should apply to a telehealth physician as would a physician that's seeing a patient in person. Right. And it's critical for a physician to know when it's appropriate to use telemedicine and when it's not. Um, we are all advocates of good medicine right. and conservative medicine. And when you have good medicine rendered in person or remotely, it's a win-win. Right. When you have bad, it's, it's not good. Um, when you get into reimbursement, there's been fraud for false billing and such, as much so in person as, as you would see possibly in the telemedicine arena. Right. So it's really right. unclear. I believe there's a tremendous amount of focus on telehealth, telemedicine, virtual visits, really it's all the same. It's just a different form of delivery of care. You see, you're gonna have heightened scrutiny, which is a bit you know, understandable because of COVID, but at the same time, you can't just um, isolate telemedicine and criticize telemedicine if there are some bad players because they're bad players in all areas of business. Right, and, exactly. And here is a business. Right. Um, so there will be some abuse, but the overall um, good that, that we see 
is significant and the majority of physicians are being responsible and are recognizing the gift that CMS has given us as a healthcare community and allowing us to treat patients in the home setting and providing these additional reimbursement codes and then using COVID sort of as a test opportunity for us to reevaluate um, the long-term landscape for healthcare, primarily because telehealth is, is a necessity. It's not, you know, it's not about getting rid of doctors. We have a physician shortage. Right. We have doctors, particularly in rural communities. And when you have a, a stroke patient that is going into an emergency room and there's no neurologist, you know, you, that, that patient is going to be very grateful for a telehealth, telestroke encounter. That, that gives that patient an opportunity to be administered TPA within a very timely, you know, maybe two to five minute period after a consult with, um, with a, a teleneurologist. These are life-saving treatment modalities that are being delivered in remote areas of the country that would not otherwise provide care to right. these patients. Absolutely. And I like your focus on the concept of good medicine and that, you know, that one that, you know, telehealth is, is, is nothing new. It's been around uh, for, for a long time in a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing new. Um, but that to recognize what it brings to the table, how it should be used. And that it's just, you know, it's another tool in the toolbox to provide care uh, and a very powerful tool at that if used correctly. Um, so it sounds like, you know, this is an opportunity to really educate um, everyone involved, all the, all the players that, that have a stake in this, um, you know, what, what, the, what the benefits are, how it should be used. And I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart and, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of have seen you as, 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 as just been uh, uh, kind of an evangelist in some ways for, for telehealth. And um, I think that, uh, you know, what, what your response there uh, is spot on. Um, and it, it's very measured and I think really lays the landscape for um, how this can proceed and, and be beneficial to everyone involved. Um, but it kind of leads into my next question. You mentioned fraud and we, we, we've heard this a lot um, and I think maybe disproportionately so. Um, you know, there's been some, some stories about um, some, some pretty big fraudulent schemes going on that centered around or at least had an element of, of telehealth to them. Um, and as we know, you know, most of the people out there are not trying to commit fraud, but these are the things that get highlighted and that we, we hear a lot about. And one of the things that I've heard a lot about, about, you know, the potential um, uh, expansion of telehealth is the idea of increased or overutilization resulting from a permanent expansion of telehealth. Uh, that seems to be a major concern. Um, you know, there's a concern that patients will start calling their physician for every little issue. Uh, the concern that physicians will see this as an opportunity to churn out as many telehealth events as possible to increase billings. So naturally, both CMS and the big insurance companies um, are worried about a major spike in cost from telehealth expansion. And during the pandemic, it would seem that you know, at least insurance companies haven't been that concerned about higher costs, mainly because 
you know, mainly probably because they're flush with cash right now. But with the pandemic, it's over, and we start talking about a permanent expansion. You know, it, they could they could change that stance very quickly. So, given concerns of overutilization um, and the potential for dramatic cost increases, uh, will payers present barriers to expanding telehealth? Uh, and what is the best way to address this overutilization concern? Red, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this issue. First of all, I think it's important to recognize that overutilization and unnecessary procedures have always been scrutinized by payers, regardless of how it cares delivered. We have many false claims acts brought against doctors for unnecessary procedures performed on patients. You know, you only hear about the, the big ones in telemedicine because telemedicine is, is, has been challenged by many of the state boards and mm -hmm. It's sort of been, I think, um, unfairly focused on in that respect. But whether you are treating a patient in person or remotely, if you abuse the opportunity, it's wrong. It's fraud. It's going to be, it's going to be scrutinized and rightfully so. Doctors and, and the majority of doctors do not overutilize and perform unnecessary procedures. Right. So for the most part, um, do I really believe that healthcare providers are going to abuse the system? The majority will not. Um, I think it certainly telehealth is certainly a more affordable treatment than someone, you know, a phone call to a doctor is going to be certainly more affordable than a patient that's running to an emergency room because the patient can't get in touch. Right. With and that's where we've seen the majority of abuse and cost on the system, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, um, they, you know, there's an abuse of the ER. And, and, and oftentimes, right. and I'm one that's been guilty of this as well. I have a sick child in the middle of the night and I can't get in touch with the doctor and I'm, I, there's no urgent care clinic open and I don't know where else to take, take my baby, you know? Right. So where do I go? I go to the emergency room. And that's a very expensive place to, um, on, and that's, it's not, you know, it, it's, it, if, if I can have a telemedicine consult with, you know, if, if, if my child has an ear infection or whatever it may be, and I can handle that through telehealth in a platform where I have peripheral devices that can actually do a, a good, um, you know, a good initial intake on my child's symptoms, that's a much better option for me and for the government and for the payer than if I run to the emergency room. We'll take a quick break. Stay tuned for more with Nadia. And we're back. Let's dive right in. Again, looking at it as a, you know, a useful tool, a powerful tool that, that kind of fills a void in the marketplace. Well, the, it is very hard to get a doctor, you know, a timely doctor visit. And I hear this all the time and people are having trouble finding doctors that are taking Medicare and Medicaid mm -hmm. um, patients. We have a lot of, if, if I wanted to see an internist today in Lafayette, it would probably take me several weeks before I could even get an appointment. Right. And that's assuming that the doctor's taking new patients. So there is definitely, you know, I'm working with a, a group of, well, urologists urologists have been prior to COVID 
um, become more, becoming more involved in telehealth and the delivery of um, certain care um, through the use of um, remote delivery um, after you know, in-person exams. And it, it shocked me to, to learn that only 200 urologists graduate from medical school per year. Mm-hmm. That's, that's certainly not gonna serve the needs of this country. And it's, it's important to have specialists on hand. And there are, there are providers out there that are not specialists that are really infringing on other specialists' um, specialties. And, and they're not taking into consideration all of the risk factors, particularly when they're, they're prescribing certain medications and they're not ruling out other potential causes for the, the ailment. So, it, it, you know, specialty medicine is, is really um, where we see the most, the, the, the greatest increase in physician shortages. And that's where we need to use telemedicine to provide good quality care by a specialist to people, regardless of where they're located. I mean, currently with COVID, without any of the um, state regulatory barriers, a doctor at Sloan Kettering can treat um, a certain type of cancer, perhaps, in a remote location in, um, in Louisiana, let's say, that you know, he or she may not otherwise be able to do if the COVID waivers were not in place, simply mm-hmm. because that doctor would not otherwise be licensed in the state of Louisiana. Right. So with, if we're able to work globally, you know, and, and this is not just U.S., in the midst of COVID, I've worked with a lot of healthcare providers that are providing international care um, to try to work as a global um, community in, in both combating COVID and treating those that are ill with physician shortages that aren't receiving treatment because of COVID. So we, I think there's been a lot of good that has come from this terrible um, pandemic in terms of unifying and coming together as, as, a, as a nation and understanding that we have to share our data. We have to, we have to share our experience. You know, data before COVID was the currency on the market. You know, private, you, everybody was hoarding their data. And I've been involved in the, in the certification of um, COVID testing and the FDA emergency youth approval process. And it just, it, it, it really warms my heart to see the greatest scientists in the world coming together and sharing all of the resources and the data that they have to try to really come and, you know, to, to come up with the best vaccinations, with the best testings, most reliable treatment methods. And that's what we need to do um, post-COVID. We need to really come together as a, as a certainly as a country and better our system as a whole because the cost of medicine is escalating to a point where we're going to bankrupt our system. Absolutely. And we have to figure out a way to control chronic medical conditions. I think that's where I see the future of telemedicine most beneficial. I mean, we are going to be, I'm integrating healthcare platforms, telemedicine platforms, telehealth platforms, remote visits, whatever you want to call it. It can be virtual visits. You know, it's, it's all the same. Um, just different terms for the same type encounter. 
both, you know, I, I, I'm integrating it at the schools because of COVID. Um, we have to take care of these kids. We have to monitor them and teachers, and we have to respond quickly if there is a COVID outbreak. So we're in integrating these platforms that will stay. I mean, they're going to last post-COVID. I suspect that every school at some point in the near future will have some kind of a telehealth kiosk and, and some level of... Wow. Um, telemedicine that is being performed. And, and I've been saying this for years. I don't understand why every college does not have a telehealth kiosk because these college students know how to use the apps. They know how to use the peripheral devices. They're more comfortable doing remote care. And, and rather than going into a hospital or going to an inpatient, you know, unnecessarily, uh, you know, unnecessarily going to a doctor, you could just go into, do you know, get through an app or go into a kiosk and, and get, um, you know, a telehealth consult within a few minutes without having to leave campus. And it would be a, a, a huge savings on the insurance. Most of these universities provide insurance to their students. It's mandated by state law, um, I believe federal law too. So um, I, I suspect we're going to see it in the schools. We certainly see it in the employment sector. We, we had occupational telehealth before COVID that's ramping up tremendously. So what we're seeing is a continuum of care, which is wonderful. So we're taking patients, we're taking care of patients, you know, now in the schools, in the prisons, in the homes, um, in the workplace, and also in the hospital. But the goal is to keep those patients well and only keep those that are truly sick in the hospital system. Right, right. And to recognize early on what chronic medical conditions may exist even at a young age, so that we can control those with the peripheral devices we wear with a lot of these wearables, and we can monitor and we can educate the, the public on how to better care for themselves. Well, you know, what you describe is really nothing short of transformational. I mean, it's, it's you mentioned creating this global community. It's really a, it's a paradigm shift. Um, and it takes the focus off of just a, a very simple uh, interpretation of what telehealth is and that it's, uh, you know, I'm just at my primary care physician and, and it, it's a phone call and uh, we're just doing a, you know, virtual visit to something much bigger than that, that really could be transformational. I mean, what you're describing to me really is transformational. It's, it's changing the landscape of the delivery of care. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you mentioned several different instances and, and venues where, you know, this could totally change how healthcare is delivered. Um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, to me, it sounds like it's going to improve healthcare, uh, not only just provide care in settings where it didn't exist, which to me, it falls under the, the heading of improving care, but the experience overall, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the, the, the time, the wait, um, the time that's wasted. I mean, I think personally about, you know, I have to, I have to set aside time from work to leave, to drive to um, my doctor. I often wait in a waiting room for a protracted period of time. There's also been times when I've gone and find out that something happened. The doctor can't see me today. And so then I have to drive back to work and I've lost several hours and really accomplished nothing. It's very frustrating. And, you know, you, you know, as we think about the advances in technology, versus, you know, 20 years ago when, you know, we might have been talking about telehealth. It's so radically different now in what we're able to do, you know, just even five years ago. And you mentioned wearables and 
I think beyond that, you've got the uh, the whole thing around you know millennials and a younger generation who are going to be much more uh, accepting of that kind of medical treatment or medical care or however you want to describe it than you know those of us who grew up on a very different model um so you know i see this this what you describe and what i was picturing when you were walking through um that description is just very transformational it really even took my mind uh, beyond just kind of what i think maybe i have perceived in the past as you know, what fits into the bucket of, of telehealth, which is a very kind of a basic thing. It's just instead of me going to the doctor, I, I'm doing some kind of virtual visit. It's much, much broader, much bigger than that. I think we've got to think bigger than that. And I, what you described to me, I can see getting expanding quickly beyond that. Um, so it kind of leads into my next question is, you know, what do you see? How do you see it altering the dynamics of traditional physician practice going forward. I mean, everything's changing. And I have to say, I mean, even in, you know, my business, we're seeing huge changes brought on by the pandemic. And some of the things you might not have thought of, I mean, for example, we, we're just not going to have the space needs that we used to have physically. We just aren't going to have the number of people sitting in an office like we used to. We're not going to do business the same way um, that we used to. A lot of our business was face-to-face. Um, that's just, you know, it's just not going to go back to that. Um, and so when we talk about and the things you describe, these transformational things, how is that, I mean, how is that going to alter the traditional physician practice as we know it? I personally think it's going to alter it in a very positive way. First of all, it's amazing how much patient buy-in you have when a patient understands and is tracked and is followed up, you know, with not necessarily a physician, but somebody that's monitoring his or her um, conditions from a remote location. Um, you can have the best healthcare, whether it's delivered in person or remotely, but unless individuals make the necessary lifestyle choices to change their and their and to, to correct some of their healthcare issues. For example, diabetes, obesity, some of the leading hypertension, many of those, those types of illnesses can be controlled through diet and exercise and lifestyle changes. But unless you have the patient buy in on that, then you know, you're not going to get a good result. So with telehealth, the, the monitoring, the educational side of this that is, being, that is being offered through telehealth platforms, we are seeing that patients are becoming much more um, in taking a much more aggressive approach in managing their own health, which is working with the doctor, not fighting the doctor. I have a doctor dad that's an OBGYN. You know, he's, he's in his, his 80s now, but it was very hard for him to, throughout my lifetime, try to explain to his patients why it was important to take care of themselves because, you know, the patient only went to the doctor when the patient was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, now you see this, our generation, the a younger generation um, that is aware of the outcome. You know, you, you, you show somebody that is young, that is diabetic, that has type 2 diabetes, that, you know, you, you bring them in a, and it's, it's a grassroots effort. You have to get the community involved. You have to, you have to get the churches involved. You, you have to get the support group. These, 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 these groups need to have support. 
So it's not just your physician. We are going and reaching out to these communities and we're working with them to try to educate and, and explain that, look, you, you can lose your eyesight. You can lose your limbs. Mm-hmm. These are the things you need to do. And when you find that you create this kind of buddy system and they wear these wearables and they start seeing the, the changes in their own health, they become, they, they just jump on the bandwagon and they're, and the, these are patients ranging from Medicaid to private payer. I mean, there is this, this crosses the spectrum of, of, you know, of economic conditions, et cetera. I mean, this is, these are, this is all of us. <laughs> we all need to take care of our health. And, and just to be able to see the patient buy-in and the desire on the patient side to work with the physician in getting and in, in, in achieving a better outcome for the patient. Um, from a physician standpoint, to the extent a, a, a physician incorporates a telehealth platform, I think the hardest thing for the physician is going to be the integration and the automation of the patient's healthcare records. You know, currently with COVID, we have a lot of relaxed rules. And I had mentioned in one of the articles that I was quoted in that um, I had overheard, you know, a doctor <laughs> engaging in a telehealth consult in, in the middle of Target. You know, it, it was just a, it was a phone call. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sure the patient maybe called him and caught him off guard, whatever. But that's not acceptable in normal days. I mean, you know, you have HIPAA. You have privacy concerns. In fact, you know, with um, with my ex-husband, who's a teleradiologist, he has everything under lock and key. Nobody goes in his office. Nobody can have access to any medical records, not even his computer. You know, and and so you have to recognize that in the midst of COVID, everything is very lax. But post-COVID, all of those those privacy and concerns are going to go back into place. You're right. going to have to make sure that you document every encounter particularly if you're going to bill for them. And you, may, you have to make sure that you integrate and, and you auto, you know, and upload those records into that patient's healthcare chart. Um, you know, it, it's, it's critical because you, are, you may be one doctor out of, you know, maybe 15, you know, that are, that are treating this patient and everybody needs to know and be on the same page in terms of what the patient is, you know, what, what kind of treatment the patient is receiving, what kind of medication the patient is on, what the, you know, the patient's symptoms are, et cetera, to really treat the, people, the patient um, well. So that's gonna be a challenge for a lot of practitioners that don't work within a hospital setting. If you're, if you're employed through a hospital, then you're not gonna have as difficult a time integrating um, that process because most hospitals have telehealth and the integrated platforms in place. Right, right. The other thing also that I'd point out in terms of telehealth and the dynamics of a physician practice and moving away from a traditional to this newer way of thinking, um, you know, we have technology that has AI and, and algorithms that can detect um, conditions that a doctor may otherwise miss. They wouldn't otherwise be, you know, on the radar. Right. And you're, you're really only as good as your technology when it comes to that. Um, there's some, some, and that's why I know we had talked, you know, what, what do you tell a, a physician that comes in and says, you know, I want to inter- integrate telehealth. How, do, how can I do this? And 
a lot of doctors had to jump in in the middle of COVID just to continue treating patients in the home. But if you, if you really wanna do it properly, you have to think through the long-term objective of your practice and how you can best utilize telehealth and, and select the best service model that fits your patients and your practice. And make sure that you get the technology and the technical support that you need to have a successful telehealth encounter. Because if you have a weakness in any of those links, the outcome is not gonna be optimal. Um, if, if you're a teleradiologist, you're looking at images on a $30,000 piece of equipment. Um, your computer has built-in algorithms that you know, picks up on, on films and studies that the human eye would not otherwise detect. Right. If you're a doctor and you're looking at an image on your iPhone, you're not gonna have that benefit. Right. So there, there's, there's a good way and a bad way to practice medicine. And it's important post COVID that we have and, and take advantage of the technology that exists to enhance um, care. And, and certainly that is never to replace the need to have inpatient hands-on care, but the technology in addition to inpatient and then the follow-up with the remote and, the, and then the tracking of chronic medical conditions that in the continuum of care, like I mentioned, um, in all of the various settings, the school settings, the employment setting, the hospital setting, the home setting, that, that's gonna lead and in, 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 in to have the interoperability and the integrated data and, and automated you know, usage of that information to all of the healthcare providers that are treating that patient is going to allow all providers to better um, better assess the condition and, and, and care for that patient. It's gonna it's gonna end, it's gonna lead to a better outcome and a more a more efficient and a more streamlined um, way of practicing medicine. That brings us to the end of part one in our conversation with Nadia De La Husi. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. Thank you for listening to Buy-In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy-In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com. Horn LLP.